This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So live your life like a soldier, wanting to please your commanding officer, like an athlete living according to the rules that you might finish well, and like a farmer, different seasons, but eventually we will reap a harvest. Are you feeling worn down and weary within your journey of faith? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he explains to you the importance of persevering in the faith. There will always be times of feeling discouraged and drained within your faith walk, but keep going to Jesus for strength and to be filled up by Him. Pastor Gary knows that life can be filled with so many challenges. But keep pursuing the Lord. He will sustain you and give you what you need in Him to keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He exhorts us to live the Christian life like these three particular occupations or vocations or professions. He's going to talk about a soldier, he's going to talk about an athlete, he's going to talk about a farmer. So first things first here, he talks about, he compares the Christian life to that of a soldier. And one of the things that he says in verse 3 there is to endure hardship with us like a good, uh, a good soldier. The hardship being the training and the discipline. The, you know, it's, it's hard work and it and it's, uh, uh, takes a lot of training and discipline to be a good soldier. And he adds in verse 4 that no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So Paul tells us two things about a soldier's life that is very similar to the Christian life, as he uses this analogy, that A, a soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs, and B, a soldier wants to please uh, his, or in our day, her uh, commanding officer. And so uh, let's just kind of walk through this a little bit. I want to spend some time looking at these analogies together, uh, because I, I think, you know, he's using these for a reason, so let's understand what he's trying to say to us here. There are many of you who have or currently serve in, in our military, and so you would be the first to agree with, with the idea that someone in the military, in many ways, lives a separate life from the rest of the world. They, they live a separate life in the sense of having a, a separate standard, a, a distinct code, a unique set of values, and though soldiers are among civilians. They are not a part of the civilian world because they are in this unique uh, military world. And, um, and as a result, that, that military environment has been built on things like honor and code and loyalty. 
And there's this distinction that he says here about a, a, a soldier being a part of the military versus those who are a part of the civilian life. And he says, a good soldier does not concern himself with civilian life. And so when I think about this analogy, what it says to me is that, that there's, a, there's a military life and then there's kind of a civilian or worldly life. And that's what I think he's trying to say to us, that as Christians, we are to live by different honor, a different uh, a set of standards, a different code. And that though we live in the civilian world, so to speak, we are not to be a part of it. We are to be distinct from the worldliness that is around us. We have to still integrate with it, but we are to be distinct from it in the sense of living by a different honor code, by living by a different standard, much in the same way that military does it in, in different ways. And, and you see different military language in the Bible in New Testament terms where there's this analogous comparison between military and, and, and civilian life. For example, 2 Corinthians 10.3, Paul says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. There's a military term in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me just read it from verse uh, 3. He says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So even there in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul's like, you know, we're in a battle here. And, and so there's this military mindset, and he wants us to understand as a Christian that we need to carry this mindset into all that we do and not get ourselves involved in worldly, if you will, civilian affairs. First John chapter 2, the Bible warns us, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So I think when Paul speaks here about military, civilian, he's saying, all right, Christian, listen, you're in a battle. You need to live by a different honor code. You need to live by a different standard. It's unto the Lord. Don't involve yourself in worldly civilian things because here, everybody needs to get this. As a Christian, there are three things that are constantly working in concert against you. The world, your flesh, and the devil. And the world is constantly trying to squeeze you into its mold. The world is constantly trying to influence you and me to conform to its image, to conform to its philosophy, to conform to its cultural mindset and its cultural and social worldview. But as Christians, you see, when we understand that the Bible is to shape our worldview, then we live by a different biblical standard. And so again, though we're in the world, we're not to be of the world. We're to see things differently through the lens of the Bible. We are to honor God as our commanding officer because we want to please. That's the second thing he says here. Anybody who's in the military wants to please his commanding officer. And so that's the responsibility of us as Christians. And that's why the Bible talks about in terms of our faith being like this battle. And Paul would say back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. He said, man, we, we are in a battle as Christians to defend the faith and to live in such a way that is distinct from the rest of the world. And so the world is waging war against us. Our flesh is waging war against us. And Peter would say in 1 Peter 2, 11, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So here again, this military mindset. 
And then, of course, the Bible warns us about the battle of the enemy, that the devil is constantly at work trying to tempt and trying to lead us astray. That's why Paul writes this whole section in Ephesians chapter 6 about finally being strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and and darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the world is working against us. Our flesh is working against us. The enemy is working against us. We're in a battle. And as people in God's army, we need to recognize this, not live and involve ourselves according to civilian worldly standards. Be separate, distinct, live by a different honor code, serve your commanding officer in a way that pleases our Father in heaven. And, and, and that's an important aspect to all of this too. How do you please your commanding officer? I mean, there are a lot of words that can define military. Loyalty, respect, honor, duty, courage. But I think anybody here who has served or presently serves in the, in the United States military would also recognize that an important word, if you're going to please your commanding officer, is submission. Submission to authority. And we are called upon, as those in God's army, to submit to his authority and to honor him as our commanding officer. Listen, the, the United States Armed Forces Oath of Enlistment okay, goes like this. I, and then you insert your name, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. Now, twice in there it speaks about orders, orders, obedience, obedience to the President, obedience to uh, those officers appointed over me. And when one takes that oath of enlistment, you are not your own anymore. You belong to the United States government, and you no longer have your own choice about things, all right? You, you no longer will decide what you want to eat or whether you want to wear khakis or army green or whether you want boxers or briefs. You will be told. You will be told what to wear, what to eat, when to get up, when to go to bed, when to burp. You will be told everything. And we need to understand this, that as Christians, our mindset needs to be the same thing. When, when we are bought by the blood of Christ, you are not your own anymore. You belong to your commanding officer, and your life now is completely designed in surrender to him, and, and it's all about obedience at that point, and submission to the authority of God in your life. If Jesus is Lord of your life, then you want to live your life in such a way that conforms and submits to your commanding officer. Colossians 1 verse 10, Paul says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. And by the way, you will not be able to please your commanding officer. You will not be able to please the Lord if you are more intent on pleasing people. If you are a people pleaser, you will not be able to be a God pleaser because If you're more concerned about what others think than you are about what the Lord thinks, you will never fully please your Father in heaven. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
The second thing that he compares our lives to in this passage is an athlete. And he says in verse 5, who competes according to the rules. To the rules. Now, there have been some athletes who have competed and some who have competed according to the rules, and some who have not competed according to the rules. And as a result, they've either been disqualified, or they've been stripped of a medal, or there's an asterisk by their name now in the history books. No one has ever won a Super Bowl ring, or a pennant, uh, or a medal, because they cheated. They have to obey the rules, and if they don't obey the rules, and it's discovered, then there are consequences. Mark McGuire, Alex Rodriguez, Ben Johnson. How many of you remember in the 2000 Olympics, some of you weren't even born in 2000, I shudder to think, I I was doing... uh, I was doing a uh, little devotional for FCA over Loudoun Valley High School this, this past uh, school year, and I was giving this illustration, and I, it had to do with the space shuttle disaster. I said, how many of you were around in 2003? Like, no hands went up, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm feeling really old right now. But anyway, in the Summer Olympics 2000, how many of you remember the name Marion Jones? So Marion Jones, one of the most decorated women athletes of all time. In the 2000 Summer Olympics, she won five medals in track and field, but she was stripped of all her medals later. Um, In her prime, she was one of track's first female sports millionaires, typically earning anywhere between 70 and 80,000 per race, plus at least another $1 million from race bonuses and endorsement deals. But she was stripped of her medals because of illegal doping. And as a result, I mean, she just lost everything. In 2006, she lost her $2.5 million house in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to foreclosure. And seven years after winning five medals, which were subsequently stripped from her, just seven years afterwards, Marion Jones was completely broke all because she did not compete according to the rules. Now, some of you like rules, and some of you don't. It's just a personality thing. Now, let's just be real. I'm not going to shame anybody. How many of you, you kind of you thrive on the rules. It makes you feel safe. You kind of know what's right and wrong, and you kind of like the rules. Let me just see your hands. You kind of like the rules. All right. How many? It depends. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> But how many of you in general, in general, kind of think rules are kind of just suggestions? Let me just see your hands. Okay, so now you know, you know the ex-cons in the house. And, uh, but, but no, seriously, I, I am, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of a rule person. I just kind of feel safe with rules. It helps me to know, you know, what's, what's going on. But once in a while, once in a while, I will break the rule just to make myself not so legalistic. And I remember, I remember being with my wife, and we were, we were driving at the post office, and there's a one-way sign, like only one way in the post office, and one way to exit the post office. And I was just in one of these moods, like, you know what? I'm just tired of being a rule follower, and I'm just going to really live on the edge right now. 
and I'm going to drive against the one-way sign. And my wife was just like, what are you doing? Because, because she's fine with breaking rules. They're suggestions to her. <laughs> but for me, it was just like, I can't, she's like, I can't believe you of all people. But you know, anyway, it wasn't like, I, I mean, what's going to happen? Like the one-way police are going to put me in jail. So, I mean, I'm still here. But, um, but listen, some of us like rules and some of us don't. But the reality is, all of us like rules when it serves us. And all of us hate rules when we think that they are restricting us. You know, if, I guarantee if you're getting on an airplane, you want your pilot to fly according to the rules. All right? If you're getting a prescription refilled, you want your pharmacist to fill it according to the rules. If you have, if you have tickets to a baseball game behind home plate, and you get there, and someone's sitting in your seat, you want somebody to show them the rules. <laughs> you do, because you, you have, this is what it says on my ticket, now get these people out of my seat. So we like rules when they serve us. We just don't like rules when we think or we perceive that they restrict us. And so, therefore, sometimes people have certain problems with certain rules in, in the Bible, because if it doesn't serve us, if we think like it restricts us, and we don't like those rules. But the truth of the matter is that all the rules that God imposes are given to us for our safety, our benefit, and our protection. And here's how you can always appreciate the rules and know that they are for your good that God gives us in the forms of His commandments. Because when you really know that the rule giver is good, you can always trust that the rules are good for you. When the rule giver is good, when you know that, then you can trust that the rules he gives are good for you. And so Paul emphasizes here, we got to run this race like an athlete, and any good athlete has to run according to the rules. And then, of course, he adds there in verse 5, to receive the victor's crown, because ultimately this is to cross, cross the finish line. You know, it doesn't matter as much how you started your Christian Walk. Some of you started young in your life. Some of you started really later in your life. Some of you got off to a great start. Some of you had kind of a rocky start. It doesn't really matter how well you start. What matters is how well you finish. That we would run the race with perseverance such that we would get the victor's crown. So he's pointing to this ultimate time of receiving our ultimate reward, going to be with the Lord in heaven. You know, one of the things clearly that an athlete engages in regularly is discipline. An athlete is constantly training and conditioning to be at peak performance so that they can finish well, that they can win. And in such a way, we need to finish and run the race that we might finish well. And it's going to take discipline. It's going to take, you know, as Christians, we have to continually train our our thought life, train our lives, discipline ourselves in conformity to the Word of God, living by the rules so that we might do well. This is why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, talking about the Olympic games, but we do it, we run the race of Christianity to get a crown that will last forever, forever. So he exhorts us here, live the Christian life like a good soldier, live a Christian life like an athlete, and then finally, this is all we're going to get through for tonight, but to also live your life like a farmer and I love the way that he describes 
a farmer here. Um, he says, he says in verse six, the hardworking farmer. Notice the adjectives that he uses to describe the farmer. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, uh, I'm I'm not a farmer. Uh, I I do boast of having a farmer's tan, however, but that doesn't make me an expert in farming. Um, however. I think all of us can agree, whether you know much about farming or little about farming, that farmers work hard. They are hard-working people. They are the salt of the earth. My, uh, my wife's grandparents uh, ran a large farm in Michigan for many years, and, uh, and her grandfather and grandmother, they've both now gone to be with the Lord, but um, I knew them for many years because they didn't go on to be with the Lord until just a few years ago in their 90s. And, and they were some of the most hardworking, honest people that you'd ever want to meet who love Jesus. And that's typical of farmers. They are hardworking people. They are up before sunrise. They, they, they work all day long. They, they're just hardworking people. And that's the word that he uses to emphasize here. Now, he talks about that they might share in the produce, that they might be able to enjoy the first of the crops. And we all understand that in farming, there's, there are seasons. There are, there's the plowing, and then there's the, the planting, and then there's the reaping, and then there's the fallow ground period before you do that process all over again. The Christian life is somewhat like that. You know, there, there are times that you're going to find that the Lord is just plowing up stuff in your life, and that you, you didn't even know was there. And you ever, have you ever worked the soil before? And you, you just see all these rocks that start coming up. And, you know, that's how God sometimes will work with us. He starts plowing our hearts and exposing some stuff that needs to be dug up. And sometimes there's a plowing season in your life where God's just like plowing me. He's just like digging up stuff that he wants to get rid of in my life. Other times it's the planting season in your life. You know, you're here tonight. The word of God's being planted in your heart. And there are times that you're just, you know, the planting and the growing season. And then there's the, then there's the fruitful season. But, you know, but in the process of all that, there's, there's the rainy days too. And some of you are like, you know, I'm kind of in the rainy day period right now. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. And I think the analogy here just speaks of the different ways that the Christian life is much like that. Sometimes it's plowing. Sometimes it's planting. Sometimes it is reaping. But the harvest comes when we don't give up. The harvest doesn't come overnight. You know, no farmer can hasten the fruitfulness of his crop. He just has to be patient. He just does his part, and then he just waits. And the Bible reminds us, Paul says in Galatians 6, 8 and 9, the one who sows, using this again, he's using like farming analogy here, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So live your life like a soldier, wanting to please your commanding officer, like an athlete living according to the rules that you might finish well, and like a farmer, different seasons, but eventually we will reap a harvest. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. You've been listening to a teaching from a series in the book of 2 Timothy. 
In this letter from Paul to Timothy, the older missionary mentions how he has accomplished what he set out to do as a prisoner for Christ. There's contentment, even in uncertain and dire circumstances, that what he'd done to further Christ's message was enough. Paul wanted Timothy to hear these words to comfort and give Timothy a boldness to be able to proclaim the same message. Could you speak a similar message to those you're around? That what you've done for Christ would be pleasing to God? What would people say about your testimony at the end of your life? 2 Timothy is a great example of how Paul finished his life well according to God's standards. We encourage you to keep reading in 2 Timothy for more great insights from Paul to Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You can listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. Join us again next time for more in 2 Timothy here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know